Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A beautiful young mom goes missing in Colorado of all days on Mother's Day. How did that happen? Of course, I'm talking about Suzanne Morphew. And in the last hours, breaking news in the case. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. And I want to thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. Right now, her brother, Andrew Mormon, seemingly taking the lead in searching for his missing sister. Take a listen now to our friend, Andy Mormon, speaking to Dr. Phil. Do you believe that they have found your sister? I think there's a good possibility. And can you describe what the area is. Is this a, a mine shaft? Is it a, a grave site? Is it disturbed ground? Is it an air shaft? What kind of area did they hit on? Well, one of them's a riverfront. Another one is a tree planting. And the third one is a an addition being put in and the entrance area with blocks. Are, are these areas that would lend themselves to hiding uh, body or body parts? Yes, absolutely. So when those dogs hit, what was the first thing that went through your mind, Andy? I just said, damn, I can't, can't believe anybody would do this. Did you think it was something else or did you think they found her? I think there's a good chance we should find out in the coming days. And I always knew nothing good was gonna come out of this film. You're hearing Suzanne Morphew's brother, Andrew, speaking publicly about the search for Suzanne. As of right now, the indications are that when the cadaver dogs hit at that location, that it was not Suzanne Morphew. How did the whole thing begin? Take a listen to this. Wanted to wish their mother a happy Mother's Day. Got no answer. They called their father said, Dad, we can't get a hold of Mom. He tried. He, and he asked the neighbor to go over and see if she was home. 
So the neighbor goes over, opens the garage. The cars are all home. She returns to her phone, calls Barry. Cars are home. Barry says, what about our bicycle? Lady says, I'll have to go back over. So she runs back over, looks, no bicycle. The odd thing to me was at midnight on Saturday night, I want you to realize she was seen in town with Barry getting a sandwich at 4, 4 p.m. At midnight, somebody friended all of the guys my age on her Facebook at midnight. At midnight. Yeah, my theory is she was killed after four. Her Facebook was manipulated at midnight. She was hidden between midnight and 4 a.m. on uh, Mother's Day morning. You are hearing her brother, uh, Suzanne Morphew's brother, speaking to our friend Phil. Long story short, we're learning so much more about the timeline that Suzanne Morphy was seen on Saturday around 4 o'clock. And that somehow, and I'm just learning this, her Facebook was uh, used at midnight to friend a lot of guys online. With me, an all-star panel to break it down, the author of Red Flags, and she's the host of Live with Dr. Wendy, KCBQ, Dr. Angela Arnold, renowned psychiatrist, joining me out of the Atlanta jurisdiction at AngelaArnoldMD.com, Fox 21, Colorado Springs News reporter Lauren Scharf on the case from the beginning, two special guests joining us, Mike King, 40 years law enforcement, um, he is the co-host creator of Profiling Evil at ProfilingEvil.com. With me, his co-host, Chris McDonough, 25 years, police officer, Southern California, co-host Profiling Evil, ProfilingEvil.com. They've been on the case from the very beginning. But first, to CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, Ellen Killoran. Ellen what can you tell me about what Andrew Mormon, the brother, just says to Phil? You know, I've been on day one, Ellen, you and I locked horns and went round and round and round because I kept saying, who keeps saying she was on her bike? Did anybody ever see her on her bike? Our very first conversation, the banner was, was she ever on her bike? Now I'm understanding it was Barry Morphew, the husband, that first said, where's her bike? Did I get that right, Ellen? Yes, you did. We learned more in the last week or so about the timeline of Suzanne Morphew's disappearance than we have in the preceding nearly five months. We know now that she was seen at 4 p.m., the day before she was reported missing with her husband, Barry Morphew. By, com if we compare that to what we know about Barry Morphew's activity the next Sunday, Mother's Day, the, the day that she was reported missing, it seems that Barry Morphew would have had to arrive either very late Saturday night or very early Sunday morning to go to Broomfield, Colorado for a landscaping job. A landscaping job that, from what we understand, was never completed. Okay, I'm just trying to take in everything you said, uh, E.K. It's like me drinking from a fire hydrant. It's so much at once. <laughs> but let, let me just go back what you were saying. Everything you just said is valuable to me. So the first person that ever said, what about the bike, was Barry Morphew. Is that right? Yes, um, that is what we understand. When the neighbor went to Suzanne's home to check on her 
because her daughters couldn't reach her, she first looked into the garage to see if the cars were there. The cars were there. Apparently, Barry then contacted her and said, but what about the bike? It was him who suggested that the neighbor look for the bike, which, of course, the neighbor didn't find. And to you, Lauren Scharf joining me at Fox 21 Colorado Springs News reporter on the case from the get-go. Lauren, what is this about her Facebook? She go, uh, Suzanne Morphew apparently goes on her Facebook at midnight that night after she spotted that day at 4. Now, I think we're talking about Saturday night. And she starts friending all these guys. Who is she friending? I mean, that's a good question, Nancy. I've spoken to Barry Morphew multiple times, and he has not once ever mentioned Facebook or any activities that Suzanne had on Facebook. He did mention that, you know, on Sundays, she would typically like to take bike rides. Interesting. Joining me, along with Lauren Scharf, Fox 21, and Ellen Kaloran, CrimeOnline.com, Mike King and Chris McDonough, just both of them. One has 40 years in law enforcement, one has 25 in uh, as a cop, 13 is homicide. First, you guys just jump in. And Lauren, EK, that goes for you too. If you have a fact that is relevant to what we're talking about at that moment, Mike King, what can you tell me about Suzanne Morphew reportedly going on at midnight? Now, listen, if I catch my husband like in a closet, friending people at midnight, I can tell you right now, all H-E-double-L going to break loose because we get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and hit the ground running. And um, I, I would that, that would just make me concerned. What do you know, Mike King? Yeah, that's really the, really the big questions that keep popping up in these red flags that we keep talking about, Nancy. And we go back and we look at probabilities versus possibilities. And there are so many stinking possibilities in a deal like this. But we start thinking about what is really probable and what is mm-hmm. probable based on Suzanne's behavior. You sound like me making a closing behavior. argument. What's probable and what's possible? I mean, it's possible little green man flew down from Mars and took her, right? But that's not probable. What is probable? What's the likely? What's her Facebook activity? What's her routine? I mean, I, to go on at midnight and start friending people? Who is she friending, Chris McDonough? Yeah, so when I, hey, Nancy, when I talked to uh, uh, Andy, uh, he told me directly that his older uh, brother started, uh, his friends started getting Facebook messages uh, from Suzanne. And I mean, that was just like, you got to be kidding me. And so, yeah, to your point, uh, I'm, I'm tracking you 100%. It, it just doesn't fit. When you say problem. Facebook messages, so is this all these people are getting messages from her for the first time the night before she goes missing? Yeah, not, not messages. I'm sorry, but friending. They, they were friended. Uh, yeah, for the first time. And by the way, you know, they grew up together, right? They knew it. They, they've known each other all their lives. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, that night, she decides to become her friend. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Everybody, we're talking about the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew. And we've just come upon between Lauren Scharf, Ellen Kaloran, and Mike King, Chris McDonough, something very interesting. What about it, Wendy Patrick? Suddenly she's up friending yeah, they- people she's known her whole life. <laughs> 
This is enormously suspicious. This is a huge, bright red flag. Routine custom practice, what somebody normally does, what time they normally go to bed. And everybody that's talking about receiving requests from Suzanne, no. They're receiving friend requests from her account. And therein lies the rub. If she gets up like you do, Nancy, at 5 a.m., I guarantee you she's not up friending people at midnight. Nor do we have any indication she uses Facebook a lot. So this is a this is something that is probably one of the pieces of evidence that's going to be most important in trying to figure out not only who else might have access to her account, but whether or not she is still alive, where she is, why she would do this. And if she has access to Facebook and it's really her, this probably is not the way she would be spending her time at this time. And again, according to Chris McDonough and Mike King, who are the co-hosts of Profiles, an awesome, awesome website uh, and podcast, right? Guys, let me ask you about this. Chris McDonough, Mike King, I'll just go to you, Mike. Um, A lot of people, well, actually, it's just been Barry Morphew, the husband, has said law enforcement has bungled the case from the beginning and that he's their scapegoat. Um... I'm sure that local police have pulled up her Facebook account and looked at her activity to determine is this kind of thing she would do. Yeah, exactly. And I I think the thing that was so troubling to us is he immediately throws out uh, four scenarios. He he talks about the bike ride and the crash on the bike. He then brings up this wild story of a cougar attack. And then he um, brings in the boogeyman, and, and then finally he starts pointing at, well, maybe it's someone that's, that's known to her. And so what we tried to do is go down and just start looking at those individually and breaking them down. And, of course, the first one and the easiest one to go after was the mountain lion story. Well, isn't it true um, that I do a lot of camping, a lot of RVing, uh, worked in a national forest. It's my understanding when there is an animal attack, there would be evidence of that. There would be blood at the spot of the attack, most likely. You would see drag marks. Uh, I mean, the cougar, cougar, I'm doing that with air quotes, would not put her body in their SUV and drive off with it. You would see drag marks. You would see indications the body had been dragged. And typically, they don't drag the body that far away. They eat it. And they will leave behind maybe bones, clothing, that has torn off the body. None of that existed. Absolutely. And that was troubling to us. There, there was no crime scene, no attack scene, no artifact on the ground to suggest there was even a scuffle. Everything that we could see from looking at other predacious movements is that there are drag marks like a small deer being drugged. Even this is a, a woman who's over a hundred pound uh, and, and dragging her would not be an easy feat. And the fact is that a cat is only going to carry its prey maybe 450 feet at a maximum. And then it's going to come back and it's going to, it's kind of gruesome to say, but it's going to come back and consume that for a number of days. It just, just doesn't fit. You know, to you, Chris McDonough, uh, 25 years, cop 13 is homicide. At the very beginning, Morphe, who has declared his innocence, let's just be firm about that stated that an animal attacked her but cops said at the get-go this was no animal attack do i have that part right yes yeah you do now Chief. yeah you know i'm learning more from andrew mormon than i uh, i am through the throughout the entire process um take a listen now to our friend ellen gianette at cbs4 denver 
the hardest thing. She's a beloved member of our family and uh, the sweetest person that you've ever met. The nephew of 49-year-old Suzanne Morphew talking about what it's like to go through the difficulty of a search that started after she went missing during a Sunday bike ride. Family has said her husband Barry was out of town in Denver. A friend called authorities when Morphew didn't return. The bike was found on Sunday, the day that she went missing. The sheriff has not yet shared information on the bike, but has told CBS4 the reason for her disappearance is probably not animals. Extensive searching in Chafee County, about 20 miles west of Salida, has not brought an answer on what happened to Morphew. You know, to Lauren Shar, Fox 21 News, you spoke with Barry Morphew, who says he was devastated, looking for his wife, putting together the pieces. He refused to do an in-person interview and did not want your phone interview recorded. Morphew suggested Suzanne may have been attacked by an animal, a run-in with an unknown person or someone she knew. What? Tell me what happened on that phone call. Yeah, Nancy, so I've spoken to him multiple times, and the first time um, he did mention the attack on a mountain or a a mountain lion attack, but the second interview I did with him over the phone where I I shared um, his audio from that, he he didn't mention the mountain lion at all. Um, He he strictly talked about what had happened uh, that weekend uh, in Broomfield and how his employees were there trying to fix a, a retaining wall in Broomfield, and, and that's where he was coming back from. Okay, wait a minute. He said he was on his way back when he got the call about Suzanne missing? Back to Salida from Broomfield. Because I thought he was in Broomfield when he got the call. Yes. He was there supposedly meeting with other people to work on the construction site, and that's when he got the call, but you're telling me he was already on his way back? Yes. Mm-hmm. Before having even met up with his co-workers? Yes, the co-workers tell me they never saw Barry that weekend. But what does he say? Yeah, he, he, he never mentioned that he saw his co-workers at all either. He just no, no, no. That, what I mean uh, he, is, he goes all the way out of town, uh, Mike King. He goes all the way out of town for a job, I believe, on Saturday night. Every indication we have is that he leaves Sunday morning at 5 a.m. Yes, At least that's thank the you. last thing that we, we have being reported. And then uh, there's there's question about at what time he hears this. Even the most optimal and the most optimistic time is that he gets the word at 5 p.m., but he still doesn't get home until 9 o'clock if we follow the Draper video and the, and the uh, statements that Barry makes in the Draper video. So that's four hours to make a two-hour drive, which is also a little bit odd. When did he have the co-workers show up? Sunday morning, uh, about 11. In, okay. Uh, yeah. So by that point, he had already left. Right, Chris McDonough? Because what Lauren Scharf is saying is that he was already on his way back home when he got the news. That's what he told her. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things here, Nancy, is his timeline is, is so uh, messed up. And, and I, it actually gets even a little bit better because during the search uh, process, uh, there was a clerk that I actually interviewed, uh, thanks to Lauren, in terms of she had, she had talked to her first out at that supermarket. But I found a boy uh, who works there, uh, uh, him outside. And what was interesting about the conversation was he looks out, uh, their store is closed, right? It's, it's, uh, 
in the in the early evening hours. And long story short, he looks out and he sees Barry going through the trash outside. And he's like, hmm, you know, who's this guy? And he knocks on the door. The door opens, and the first thing out of his mouth, according to this witness, was, hey, I'm looking for a baby blue bicycle helmet. Have you seen a baby blue bicycle helmet in the trash? And the clerk goes, what? And then the, the manager steps up and says, can we help you? And this is where the infamous note is written about what Suzanne's wearing, uh, the bike helmet, uh, et cetera, but no description of Suzanne. Uh, that was a huge, huge uh, red flag that Mike and I, uh, you know, put together along with Lauren uh, early on uh, during the situation. So that's new information that, you know, quite frankly, is the first time we're talking about. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, in the last hours, we're getting a flood of information about the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew. Um, her brother, not her husband, seems to be leading the crusade to find her. With me, an awesome panel, including Ellen Kaloran, Crime Online, Lauren Scharf, Fox 21, Mike King, Chris McDonough from Profiling Evil, Wendy Patrick, and Dr. Angela Arnold. I want to go back to what you were just telling me. Um, with me, Chris McDonough, Mike King. Mike King, Chris is saying that somebody looks out a window and sees Morphew, the husband, digging through trash. When asked, hey, what are you doing? He says, have you seen a baby blue bike helmet? Who spotted him? Where is this? And when is it? I didn't get that. Yeah, good. Um, sure. it, it's the little market right in town. And uh, it's the, it uh, is the employee, a young man who's working there, who first notices this and has the first conversation. And then the store manager actually has a conversation, provides uh, Barry with a piece of paper to write the note that we now have a copy of that says he's looking for the blue helmet. The thing that was so odd is he's in the garbage and the first thing out of his mouth is I'm looking for a blue helmet. Holy cow, where did that come from? What day was this? It was Tuesday the following uh couple days after Suzanne was reported missing on that Sunday. Why would he be looking in a dump for that if he thought that she had had a crash or been taken by an animal? Why would he be looking in the trash behind the little market for a blue helmet? And, and another thing, Lauren Scharf, am I correct that he told you he did not want that phone call recorded and he did not want to do an in-person interview? Yes, that first um, call that was lasted 30 minutes. Yeah, he did not want that uh, audio shared. And then um, a couple weeks later, he calls me back for an hour, and that's the audio that I shared. You know, I, I just keep thinking about everything you're telling me right now, and I'm projecting, I'm projecting when I learned my fiancé had been murdered. I remember the moment exactly. I'll never forget it. Maybe I wish I could forget it. No, no, no. I, I need to know and I need to remember. But after all this time, I remember it like it was yesterday and I'm not able to nail down Chris McDonough. Ellen Kalorn, if you know, just jump in, Ellen. Don't hang back. Did he learn his wife was missing at the hotel where he had left Sunday morning from home? presumably leaving her alive and well. He drives about three hours away, away for a job. 
did he learn there or was he already en route back home? Because why do you bring a whole crew of people to come do a construction site, build a retainer wall, and then you don't stay to meet them? I thought the whole point was he was going to scope the site on Mother's Day and was going to meet up with them. When did he learn, Chris McDonough? What is he saying about when he learned Suzanne's missing? Well, there's a couple of uh, different types or different time frames, Nancy. Okay. One of them uh, is around 5 o'clock uh, p.m. Sunday. Uh, the other is a possibility of mid-afternoon Sunday. And both of these, uh, one is from uh, Barry himself at uh, 5 p.m. The other is from employees uh, because when they got up there on Sunday, uh, it was kind of a rush thing. Uh, it was a situation where, you know, he basically calls them and says, you know, calls one particular witness and says, look, we got to get up there. We've got this job. We've got to fix this wall, et cetera, and meet you up there. Well, that other that other employee, and I'll let uh, Lauren speak to this, but that employee uh, basically says that around 4 a.m., and not to confuse the issue, but around 4 a.m. Sun, uh, Sunday morning, uh, she believes she hears Barry's truck uh, outside of her apartment. And so she gets into a panic, like, all right, we got to get going. And if by that time, you know, he's gone, and then the phone calls comes into this person who says, hey, get the crew together. I'll meet you up there. And by that time, they're on the road around 11 a.m. Sunday. And so by the, so between 11. Okay, uh, this is getting very convoluted. Uh, yeah, and that's not your fault, Chris McDonough, is because the nature of the way we're learning the facts, we're getting different stories. E.K., Ellen Kalorin, Crime Online. When do we think Morphew says he learned his wife was missing? He told me that he left around 5 o'clock when he learned that, uh, you know, he had a family emergency. He called his crew around 6.30. You're going to have to figure it out on their own. And uh, that... All they knew was that it was a family emergency. They okay, hold on. Is this Lauren talking? Thought, Lauren, okay. Yes. Tell me again, did you say 5? He learned at 5 p.m.? 5 p.m. Sunday. Mm-hmm. And she was reported missing, at least from the um, you know communication center in Chafee County, was at 546 uh, p.m. Okay, wait Sunday. a minute. Question to you, Lauren Scharf. What time did the co- I'm calling them co-workers. I don't know that they actually worked together. They were summoned by him to come to this to the scene to, to build a retainer wall. What time did they get there and he was already gone, Lauren? They didn't even leave Salida until 6.30. So they didn't even see each other at all. Okay, got so it. When they were leaving, they got a call saying he wasn't going to be there because of a family emergency, but to go ahead and start the project on Monday morning. Take a listen to Suzanne's brother, Andrew Mormon, speaking to our friend, Dr. Phil. The EVI information on his truck didn't line up, Phil. He said he saw her at 5 a.m., and uh, he did not. And, and how do you know that? Testimony from an employee that he was rambling down the road, texting people at 4 in the morning, trying to get them to go to Broomfield. So... Can't be at home at 5. And talking to somebody on the road at 4. Right. I just so that the timeline doesn't add up at all. Yeah, not at all. You've got two nieces, Mallory, who's now 22, and Macy, who's 16. Would she go off riding by herself, or would she be in contact with them? Would she go off the radar? 
for seven days and, and have no social media presence, no presence electronically for that period of time with, with her daughters? No, absolutely not. So what we're learning from Suzanne's mother, he says the EVI, I guess that's the navigation on Morpheus truck, doesn't fit. What are we talking about, Ellen Kaloran, Crime Online? That is all he said, but what it seems to be is that the whatever data tracking device was on Morphe's truck, Barry Morphe's truck, does not line up with where he told police he was at any at a given time of the of that weekend. Now, police have never once commented on his alibi or confirmed it. So I think that part of the reason why there's so much confusion about this timeline is that a big a big part of this timeline so far has come from Barry, who may be contradicting himself. There is a lot of confusion. I don't think that any I certainly can't say with any certainty where I think Barry Morphy was at, you know, every hour of the Sunday that Suzanne Morphew went missing. So I would really like to know what he told police and how much does what the data shows deviate from what he told police. To Dr. Angela Arnold, psychiatrist, joining me out of Atlanta. Dr. Angie, I can tell you right now where I was and where my husband was, where my children were this past Sunday and the Sunday before that. I may have to look at the calendar to figure out where we were the Sunday before that. But I know. How can there be that much confusion surrounding the space of 10 hours? Well, Nancy, it sounds to me that you know, when people are trying to hide something and when they're and when they may not be they be being truthful about something, they have to keep rearranging their story and then they forget what they say. And with all of the experts that you have on your panel today, and this is so hard for everybody to put together, I think it's so hard for everyone to put together because there's so many lies that are interwoven in this. Let me remind everybody that Suzanne Morphew's husband, Barry Morphew, insists he is innocent and has nothing to do with Suzanne's disappearance. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We are talking about the disappearance of a gorgeous young mom, Suzanne Morphew. Now, I also understand that in the last hours, the we are learning their family home has been put up for sale at about for about $1.759 million. You know, to you, Mike King, I mean, I still have my fiance's picture, his baseball glove, his baseball, his letters to me. I have all that that I see every day. It would be hard until I knew the answer as to her disappearance that I would sell the home. Maybe there's some kind of financial problem that I don't know about. But if she could come home, I would want the home to be there until this case is resolved. You know what? That's a personal uh, opinion. And I know we're going round and round about the timeline, Mike, but that's the way investigations are. If you sat me down with my investigator working on a case, these are exactly the way we would be talking about, well, what is this and what is that? But didn't he say this and didn't they say that? So, Mike, what times do we believe Morphew claims he learned his wife was missing? Mike King. You know, I, I just have to go back to the one The one solid piece is uh, his testimony uh, to Lauren Scharf. Uh, 
where he says, I left the home at 5 a.m. and she was sleeping. So even, even with that, then we have to look at other evidence that has popped up that we haven't been able to corroborate. We, we're like you. We have to live on what social media is sharing, but suggestions that she was abruptly ending conversation the day before on Facebook and then odd behavior later into the evening on Facebook that was completely out of character. So we can start to establish what seems like a more credible timeline and then, of course, the, the idea of when do the email messages or the text messages start on Mother's Day, wishing her well to kind of establish a communication baseline and then sending the neighbor over once and then twice uh, and, and the response to return home. And then, again, the time to get home. Nancy, I want to tell you something. Barry did admit one inconsistency to me about his timeline that he provided to investigators. But it was about uh, it was he told me it was a mechanical thing to his bobcat. That's the one thing that he said that he uh, mistakenly uh, had confused. And, you know, he said, you know, I just found out my wife was missing and um, I, I didn't have that timeline right. As far as what was wrong mechanically with his bobcat, he wouldn't tell me. So what would the bobcat have to do with the timeline? He, he, the, one of the uh, employees told me that he was supposed to bring that to uh, Broomfield for that job site, but they never had it when they got there. It, it was, it was not there. And from what I'm understanding, the brother is saying, Chris McDonough, is that the coworkers, as I'm calling them, said they're getting texts at 4 a.m. from Barry Morphew saying he is on the road heading to Broomfield and he's trying to get a team gathered to go build a retainer wall. That's contrary to him telling Lauren Scharf he left his wife at 5 a.m. alive and well asleep, soundly asleep. The co-workers are saying he was texting from the road to Broomfield at 4 a.m. Chris? Yeah, no, that's a good point, Nancy. And I think this, uh, again, it goes towards that uh, confusion. Uh, where, you know, he's trying to, you know, cross over and dovetail uh, into everything. But what we have from Barry himself, uh, like Mike said, was at, at 0500, uh, you know, in the morning, he leaves Suzanne in bed. We have from one of the workers uh, that was reported to Warren uh, that she believes she hears his truck outside of her apartment. She says, I know it's Barry's truck. I don't look out, but I know it's his. So, that's kind of, you know, a little speculation in our relationship to, you know, her, her testimony. Uh, but um, so that, that's kind of nailed down the timeline. And Andy believes that it went a little bit further. Uh, I don't have that information as to how, you know, he came up with 4 a.m. texting. Uh, but we do know there was a We're getting that from one of the co-workers. They're the ones saying Morpheus texting them 4 a.m., calling them, trying to get a team together to go build a retainer wall. That's their saying that. And certainly local police can look at their cell phones and get their cell phone records and find that out. Did they have an incoming call at 4 a.m., which would belie the statement he was still at home at 5 a.m.? But, you know, you just mentioned so, so many things uh, that are unusual to me. Let's take a listen now to Andy Mormon speaking to Dr. Phyllis, our cut 34. What do you think happened to her and why? Let me just say this. She's hidden too well, Phil. Um, 
Her bicycle was planted there. She was never on it. I think she was abducted, and in this case, murdered. Abducted, taken to a second location, and then ultimately murdered? Yeah. I, I don't think she was taken to a second location. I think it happened at home. So you think she was murdered, and then the body was taken to a second location? Correct. And you think her husband is the one that did this? Well, based on behaviors and uh, things that have happened, yeah, I do, actually. And, and I pray it's not. You certainly hope it's not. And, and I understand that you can't say that it is, but you've just been suspicious of that for quite some time, correct? I, I have, yeah. Let me understand something. Mike King, 40 years law enforcement, ProfilingEvil.com, along with Chris McDonough, ProfilingEvil.com. If someone got on national TV and said I committed a crime, I would sue them immediately. Immediately. I mean, of course, unless it was true. Then I would hide, okay? So has there been any fallout from the brother going on Dr. Phil, for Pete's sake, and saying he thinks his, bro his brother-in-law committed murder? Has there been a lawsuit or any, any t uh, cease and desist letters that we know of? I don't know of anything, Nancy. I mean, uh, Andy would have to ask, answer that okay. question. Let me ask you a question about uh, Chris McDonough just said, Mike King, that the female co-worker said she recognized Barry Morphew's truck. Now, when my husband comes in the door, I know it's him. He opens the door, closes it, then there's a really long pause. I don't know what he's doing in the laundry room. Not the laundry. But then I hear a certain gate coming down the hall. I know that's David. Okay, Different if it's John David. The door slams. Next thing you know, running. With Lucy, you don't hear anything. She's like a ghost. You don't even hear the door. Suddenly, she's just there. Okay? So how does the coworker know the sound of Barry Morphew's truck? I'm curious, is this the same female co-worker that has taken to uh, the media and said, we're not having an affair? You, you know, that, that's really interesting. And I think about you as a prosecutor and the other prosecutor on the, on the uh, show with us today. There are cases where we use that kind of evidence as parts of that circumstantial evidence to prove a point. Sometimes it smells, sometimes it sounds. In this case, the, the individual indicated that it was a very specific sound that this vehicle has. She's been in the vehicle many times. She understands the sound. She, when she heard it, there was no question in her mind. And so you got to kind of weigh it pretty heavily. Or maybe it's because, hello, she works with him. They have a construction company going, and she's in that truck all the time. It reminds me, I'm sure none of you remember the Aristocats where, where one of the uh, investigator dogs can hold his ear up and he can tell what kind of car, what model, what make, and uh, there's flat, uh, low air in one tire. I mean, when you hear something so many times, you recognize it. I want to remind everyone that this is a search for the truth, not railroading anybody. Morphew says he's innocent. That's what he says. And he has not been named a suspect, and he has not been arrested. So what happened to Suzanne Morphew? Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend.
Binge listen this and all your artist stations, plus any song from our library of millions of songs, all ad-free. Get your free 30-day trial of iHeartRadio All Access. You'll love it. Don't be basic. Be extra. Start your free 30-day trial of iHeartRadio All Access now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.